You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Uh, it is, we all know this, it's the time of year for new things, and new year's resolutions, new commitments, new reading plans, new diets, new exercise plans, new semester, new clothes. Um, some of you are wearing new clothes today. I'm actually wearing a new shirt. How do you like it? You're thinking, Todd, that looks exactly like every other shirt you wear to church. You got to find what works, man. But it is a new shirt. Uh, we, we like the new year because we like new beginnings. We, we, we like a fresh start. We like the opportunity to, to change our habits, our routines, our, our priorities, our wardrobe in, in some way. Um, and we like new, and it, that's good because this text today is about newness. Um, uh, we're jumping back into Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We spent the whole fall uh, in the book of Ephesians, and then we took a little time off for Thanksgiving uh, and for Advent, and we're picking up right where we left off. Uh, and we're in, in this text today, Paul wants us to know that God has given us genuine newness. Like not sparkly, shiny, it's going to wear off, temporary newness like your favorite Christmas gift. Uh, he's given us real, like deep-seated, life-altering, life-defining, long-lasting newness in our life. Now, we uh, just celebrated the birth of Jesus uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it was 12 days ago exactly that we celebrated Christmas. We've, we've come to the end of the 12 days of Christmas. We'll mention this. This is Epiphany Sunday. It's the end. January 6th is the end of the Christmas season. Now, why was Jesus born? Was Jesus born just to give us a temporary season uh, filled with warmth and good cheer and goodwill toward men and we love each other and we give each other presents and then everything goes back to the way it was on January 7th and we're back in the office or back at school or whatever? Is that why Jesus was born? Well, we know that's the answer to that. No, that's not why he was born. He was born to give us something more permanent, something life-altering. We sing about the reason he was born every Christmas season in one of our favorite hymns. Hark the herald angels sing. We sing these two lines every year. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. So Jesus came to give us second birth. He was born so that we could be born again. He was born so that we could have new life. And our text today is about that new life. See, as Christians, we have a new birth, which leads to a whole new way of life. Right? Let me say that again. It's really important to know. We, as Christians, we have a, a new birth, and that's what leads to a whole new way of living. That's actually the outline of the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about all the new things we have in Christ, Chapters 4 through 6 talk about what difference that makes in the way we live. That's, that's, the, that's the overview of Ephesians. 1 through 3, all the new stuff in Christ. 4 through 6, how does that affect our life? Our new birth impacts the way we live, gives us a whole new lifestyle. Now today, Paul is just going to give what we might call the theological basis for our new lifestyle. Like the, he's going to lay the theological foundation. He's not going to get practical. He's not going to give any commands today. 
Uh, Next week, we'll get to that starting in, in verse 25. But today, he's just making a theological argument. In other words, he's answering the question, why should we live differently now that we're Christians? And so he's just going to make this theological argument, and he starts his argument by making this statement uh, to, to the Ephesians. And this is it. Don't live like you used to live. Don't live like you used to live. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. So Paul says now. In other words, after all that I've said up to this point in the letter, after I've told you all the blessings you have in Christ, after I've told you that, that God has raised you from the dead and has seated you in the heavenly places in Christ, right? after I've told you that he, he's included you in his family, He's given you an eternal inheritance. He's included you in his body. He's given you gifts so that you can help the body mature. After all that, I want to say something to you. Now I'm ready to say something to you. Here's what I want to say to you, Ephesians. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? You know what's interesting? They are the Gentiles. The Ephesians are the Gentiles. They are a bunch of new Christians who are Gentiles. So when he says, don't live like the Gentiles, he's simply saying, don't live like y'all used to live. If he was talking to us today, he would say, probably not that, that same phrase, he would say to us, don't live a secular lifestyle. In other words, don't live life without any reference to God. Don't live life as if God doesn't exist. That's how you used to live, but don't live like that anymore. Now, we know that someone who's living a secular lifestyle is not necessarily evil or mean. They might be a really good, moral, nice person, but they're living life as if God doesn't exist without any reference to him, and that has consequences, right, in how they see the world and in what they're living for. Now, look at how Paul describes the lifestyle of the Gentiles in verse 18 and verse 19. Look at his description. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is some pretty bleak language uh, to to describe the Gentiles. He uses words like futility and darkened and alienated and ignorant and hardness and callous and greedy and impurity. Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians, I want y'all to think about your life before Christ. Think about what that was like. In fact, he says, I'm going to paint a theological portrait for you of your life before Christ. And so he paints this portrait of the, the internal life of the Gentiles. You see that in verse 18. And then the external life of the Gentiles. You see that in verse 19. Their internal life shapes their external life, right? Their their posture toward God in here shapes their practices out here. Look at their internal life in verse 18. Like, what's going on inside of the Gentiles? Well, in short, this little verse is saying that there's a darkness in their minds 
that's caused by hardness in their hearts. There's an ignorance in their mind. They're they're unaware of who God is and what God is doing in the world, but it's caused by a hardening of their hearts, a callousness in their hearts. Now, we know that callousness doesn't form all at once, does it? Callousness forms over a long period of time. If most of us came up here and tried to play one of these guitars, um, I would imagine that for most of us, it would hurt. The strings would hurt our fingers because we don't play the guitar very often. We would be sensitive. It would be very painful to play the guitar. But the musicians that are up here, they have no problem with it. They don't feel it at all. Why? Because over years and years and years, they've played those guitars and they have calluses on their fingers. They can't even feel those strings, right? But that's how callousness builds up over time with lots and lots of practice. And that's how a hardened heart forms towards God. We need to know that as Christians, If we make lots of little choices over long periods of time, little choices that ignore God, over time, our hearts can grow callous to him, insensitive to him, totally unaware that he exists. That's the internal life of Gentiles, and that shapes their external practices. Look at what he says about their external life in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, they've become callous, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, And they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So they've given themselves over to something, to sensuality. They've they've made themselves captive to something. Sensuality, meaning their senses have enslaved them. Their senses have become their master. Their senses are what controls them. So if it feels good, do it, right? if If it feels right, it is right because sensuality is what controls my life. And then Paul says, not only that, they're greedy. When he says greedy, that just means they have this increasing desire to fill themselves with more and more and more of what will satisfy them. Why? Because that's how humanity is made to be. We're created hungry beings, aren't we? Thirsty beings. Like we, we, we're made to fill our souls with something that will satisfy. And so if we are living as if God doesn't exist, then we will, we will be on a quest to fill ourselves with more of anything that will satisfy us, more of anything that we can get out of life, more success, more power, more wealth, more comfort, more pleasure. And the problem with those things is they never fully satisfy. The more we indulge those things, the more we crave, right? It's like drinking salt water. We've all heard stories of, of people being stranded at sea. It, it, it's a terrible irony to be stranded at sea. Why? Because you're surrounded by water, but you're dying of thirst. And, and, and everything in you, your senses are telling you, hey, look at all this water. That's what I need. That is what will keep me alive. That's what will quench my thirst. But we know that's not true. It will only kill them if they drink the water. Why? Because they're not ma- we're not made to drink salt water. We're made for living water. We're made for fresh water. The Gentiles, Paul is saying, are trying to fill themselves with anything other than the one that they're made for, and it's killing them. It's killing them. This is the life of the Gentiles. This is the secular life. Uh, it's living life as if God does not exist. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and I think he's saying to us, hey, 
y'all used to live like that, but don't live like that anymore. Don't live a secular life. Don't live your life, even in the daily little moments in your life, as if God doesn't exist. Why? Now he comes to the second part of his argument. He says, don't live like you used to. Why? Because you've changed clothes. You've put on new clothes. This is the metaphor that Paul uses to describe our new life in Christ. Look at verse 20 uh, through 24. Let me just read that to us again. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So he transitions. He contrasts our new life. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's those deceitful desires. They're like salt water. They're promising to quench your thirst, but they won't. They'll just kill you, so they're deceiving you. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul uses this language um, of putting off and putting on. It's like changing clothes, right? We, 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 we take off, we put off uh, the, the old garment. Uh, we, we lay it aside. That's what the Greek word for put off means. We lay aside the new garment. Uh, if you're a Greek teenager, it means you wad it up into a ball and you throw it on the floor somewhere. Find that later. Uh, but we do that. We take it off, we throw it away, and then we put on the new garment. We put on a new piece of clothing. Now, there are a couple things we have to see here and understand about how Paul is using this metaphor. Uh, and and first, the first thing we need to see is that the verbs to put off and to put on, they're actually, we wouldn't see this necessarily in the English, but they're in the past tense. He, he's talking about something that's already happened. And if you look there, he says, Paul says, you were taught in Christ to put off your old self and to put on your new self. So, so we could say you have put off and you have put on. When did you do that? When you became a Christian. You did that. It's, it's already done. The second thing is, what did you put on when you became a Christian? Did you put on your best behavior where you're all of a sudden acting rightly now? Did you put on morality? No, look what he says. He says you put on your new self. You put on a new you. You put off the old you and you put on the new you. He's talking about identity here. He's not talking about behavior. He actually doesn't start talking about behavior till next week in verse 25. So I just want you to catch this. Becoming a Christian is not about changing your behavior. It's not. It's not about changing your morality. It's about becoming a new person. What's that new person like? What is that new self like? Well, look at verse 24. He describes the new self. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So the new self is created. That means we are God-made, we're not self-made. Like, we don't muster up a new self by having, being really committed to be better. We don't become a new self by our own resolutions, our own self-discipline, our own commitment, our own morality. The, 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 the new self is from God. 
We are a new creation. It's a, it's a new birth. We, we didn't have any control over our first birth. We don't have any control over our second birth. It's given to us. We're created a new self. Secondly, the new self is created, it says, after the likeness of God. That means that, that we're made to be like God. What does it say? And what does that mean? Verse 24, we're made to display true righteousness and true holiness. So the new self, listen, it's not about pretend righteousness. It's not about surface level righteousness where we just play the Christian game externally. We say the right things. We do the right things externally, but nothing really is new happening on the inside. That's not what this is saying. It's saying this is real righteousness. It's genuine newness at the deepest part of who we are. Now, how did this happen? Like, how did we put on our new self? Well, it started in the mind and the heart. Just like the Gentile lifestyle out here starts in the mind and the heart, right? And so in verse 20, it says that we learned Christ. You see that? We learned Christ. This is not just academic learning, like you would learn chemistry or math or something. This is relational learning. You could translate uh, verse 20 uh, like this. You could say, but that's not how you came to know Christ. It's not how you learn Christ. That's not how you came to know Christ. We understand that, right? I've been married for almost 25 years. I did not get married to Amy 25 years ago because I learned some facts about her that impressed me. And I was like, well, I will marry that. No, I learned her. I came to know her. And that's what changed me, right? We, we, when, we, when we became a Christian, we, we didn't learn a subject, right? We learned a person. We didn't just learn a new doctrine. We came to know the most exciting, beautiful person in the universe, Jesus, the Son of God, who took on flesh, right? who lived righteously, who loved relentlessly, who, who taught so wisely and died sacrificially, who rose bodily, who ascended to heaven visibly, and who is coming back gloriously. We learned him. We came to know that person. And then verse 21 says that we heard about him. You see that? It says, assuming that you've heard about him. Except for in the original language, it doesn't have the word about. So it actually says, assuming that you have heard him. You know why that's significant? Because not only is Jesus the one that we're learning, he's also the one that's teaching us. Jesus is our teacher. He's our discipler. That means he's real. That means we, he's a person we can have a relationship with. Now, I want you to know, if you're a Christian, somewhere along the way in your life, you were learning Jesus, and you were hearing from Jesus, and you had an epiphany. You had an epiphany. That means a light went on for you. It's, it's significant, I think, that we're looking at this text on epiphany Sunday, because it's the Sunday that the church around the world celebrates the revelation of the Jewish Messiah to the Gentiles. And we look at the story of the Magi or the wise men who were Gentiles. A light went on for the Magi, didn't it? They they were led by a star to Jesus, and when they came to Jesus, they learned him. They came to know him, and they, they they rejoiced and they worshiped him. They were converted. That is our story as Christians. 
At some point along the way, if we are Gentiles and we have become Christians, that means we heard Jesus, we learned uh, Jesus, and we were converted to Jesus. And whenever that happened in our life, God gave us a new birth. That's when, that's when we put on the new self. That's when we put on our new wardrobe. God changed who we are before he ever started talking about what we would do, right? It starts with the new birth, which leads to a whole new way of life out here. Um, and this is why I think the clothing metaphor is, is so appropriate. Um, because clothes are something you can see, right? Cl- clothes are, are visible. Uh, up at our office, if someone gets a new, some new clothing, you know that everyone is going to notice that. You almost don't want to wear the new thing that first time because you know that everybody's going to be like, hey, new jacket, huh? <laughs> hey, get some new shoes? Yeah, new shoes. You just kind of want to get past that. You can see the newness. It's, it's, it's visible. I think Paul is using this metaphor very purposefully uh, because whenever we put on the new self, we're putting on Christ. And so Christ should be visible to the world through us. Like he is the very image of God, the true righteousness, the true holiness of God, and he is, should be displayed through us to the world. This has ramifications in every area of our life, and we'll start to get into that in future weeks. But it ought to affect things like our speech, like what we say and how we say it. It ought to affect the way we treat our money and our possessions. Like are we generous? Are we good stewards of what God has given us? It ought to affect things like our sexuality, Like, ask yourself, is Jesus on display in my thoughts, in my words, in my practices related to sex and sexuality? And we'll talk about some of those things in the weeks ahead. We we have put on new clothes, Paul is saying. We've put on a new self, and that self should be visible to the world. Here's the problem. The problem is, a lot of times we would just rather wear our old clothes, right? Right? Because they're so comfortable. New clothes, you got to break them in. You got to get used to them. But old clothes, many times in my marriage, my wife has said to me, you know what? I think it's time for you to retire that shirt, right? I think it's time for you to get a new pair of jeans. And I'm like, but I love these jeans. They're so comfortable. And that's how we feel about our old self at times, don't we? It feels so comfortable. The Bible calls our old self the flesh, Whenever you see that in the Bible, the flesh, it just means our self operating independently of God. It means self operating in life as if God doesn't exist. Self operating like a Gentile. And Paul says to the Ephesians and to us, don't go back to that. Don't go back to your old clothes. Why would you? Like, why would you go back to futility and ignorance and darkness and alienation? You're finally wearing the clothes you're made to wear. Why would you wear anything else? And so here's the last part of his argument. Remember, he started by saying, don't live like you used to. Why? Because you've put on new clothes. So what? So keep wearing your new clothes. Keep wearing the new clothes. How do we do that? How do we keep wearing this new self? Uh, Well, remember that we said... um, that putting off and putting on are past tense verbs. Like at conversion, we, we, we put off the old self, we put on the new self. We, we put off the secular self, we put on the new Christ-centered uh, self. 
Uh, but look at verse 23. This is really interesting. Little verse. Verse 23 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, what's interesting is, um, is that this, this verb uh, in, in verse 23 is not past tense. It, it's present progressive tense, meaning it's an ongoing action. It's something that is happening in an ongoing way in our life. So you could read verse 23 as, and keep being renewed in the spirit of your minds, meaning daily, hourly, minute by minute, let your thinking be renewed. See, remember, when, you, when, we, when we live like the Gentiles, we walked in what? The futility of our minds, it says in verse 17. But now as Christians, we are to walk in continuous renewal of our minds. So Paul is saying, hey, renew your new clothing. Keep renewing your new clothing. In other words, let, keep letting your new identity transform your thinking about who you are, and about who God is, and about how the world works. Now, how do we do that? How do we continuously let God renew our minds? Well, we do things like read the Bible and pray and come to church and sit under the preaching and the reading of God's word and sing God's word and profess God's word and come to the communion table and and, and hear that we belong to God and that God loves us. That has a way of renewing us over time. Those things renew our minds and they have a way of breaking in our new clothes for us. And pretty soon... Life in Christ starts to feel like an, old, like an old pair of jeans. It's like, I kind of like this life. It feels a little more normal. But we have to learn it. We have to be renewed in it. See, the old self, the, the flesh, wants to do things like earn God's favor. Like we want to stand on our own merit in our own, our own record. But the new self is learning to rest in God's grace, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the old self, the flesh, uh, wants to fi- fill ourselves with all kinds of worldly things that aren't God, but the new self is learning to fill ourselves with the person of Jesus. The flesh still wants to be first in life, first in everything, but, but the new self is learning to make ourselves last, like Jesus did. We have to learn that. We have to learn Jesus. Like when verse 21 says that we learn Christ, it's not talking about a one-time thing. We never learn anything all at once. Not anything of significance that really changes us, do we? This is why Jesus calls us to a lifetime of discipleship to him. Disciple just means learner. We are lifetime learners, lifetime disciples of Jesus. We never outgrow this renewing of our minds. That's how we keep wearing our new clothes. That's how we live out our new identity. We allow God to keep renewing our minds. Uh, Our new birth... Uh, leads to a whole new way of living. Uh, But it starts with who we are before it ever gets to what we do, right? Uh, It it starts with being before doing. It starts with identity uh, before action. And that's good news to us, I think. God, Because God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't provided the means by which we can do those things. Uh, There's an anecdote um, that's told about St. Augustine, uh, the great 4th century uh, theologian, uh, apparently, Augustine was, was pretty promiscuous uh, before he came to, to faith in Christ. Uh, and there's a story that's told. I'm not sure that it's true. It's a good story, though. Uh, uh, about how he came to, uh, when he, after he came to faith, one day as he was walking down the street, he ran into uh, one of his old mis- mistresses, one of his former mistresses. 
And when he saw her, he went the other direction uh, because he knew the temptation of his old way of life and he didn't want to enter into that. And the story's told that she saw him and she called out to him. She said, Augustine, it's me. And he turned and looked at her and said, yes, but it's no longer me. Right? This is the point in the story where my daughters go, oh! (laughs) But we get the point of the story. He wasn't trying to insult the woman. He was trying to say to the woman, I'm new, right? I've been changed. I'm not the same person anymore. Like, really, I'm not the same person anymore. I've undergone, undergone transformation. I've been changed. And that new birth makes a difference in the way I live my life. It should, it ought to, it must make a difference in our lifestyle. We'll get into that more next week as we get into verse 25. All right, let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.